want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. So far, we've journeyed through verses 1 all the way through 9. If you need to catch up on any of those sermons, you can go to walkchurch.com or download our Walk Church app, and you can be refreshed on some of those messages. But today, we're jumping right into verses 10 through 13. If you're ready, say ready. If you're hungry for God's word this morning, say, let's eat. What do we do before we eat? Come on, let's thank him for his word this morning, and let's ask God to speak. Father, uh, we come before you. We keep saying we need you. Now we need you to speak. We need to hear the voice of God this morning. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear you talk to us through your word. We don't need to hear another message from a man. We need to hear a, a message from God through a man. So God, open our hearts Open our minds. Rebuke the enemy, God. Don't allow us to be distracted as we enter your word now. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen? Amen. If I were to title this message anything, I would title it this, the church, God's plan A, and there's no plan B. As you journey through the Bible, you'll see that God has one body, he's got one bride, he's got one plan, and it's the church, the local church of believers together on mission. And we're looking at that here today as we journey through Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 through 13. I want to go ahead and just identify verse 10. Let's look at it, let's, let's jump into it, let's unpack it. If if Ephesians 3 verse 10 was a wet rag this morning, I would love to just kind of wring it up and wring it out, right? Let's just, let's just squeeze this rag and get as much gems and, and Holy Spirit wisdom that we can get from this book today. The verse says that through the church, everybody say through the church. Come on louder, say through the church. So that through the church. The manifold wisdom of God might now be known, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that through the church, Jesus is speaking right here through the book of Ephesians, reminding us that it's through the church that everything is going to be coming to life, that everything's happening, everything's taking place. It's through the church. And I think that many of us would come into agreement that the church is powerful and the church is meaningful, and the church is a big deal to God. But the issue that I think a lot of us face is that if I were to give a survey to everybody, say, in, in, in our church, and say, what is the church? We may have a bunch of different answers. And so I want to ask the question to the Bible this morning. I want to say, what is the church? And I think it's only right that whenever you ask a biblical question, you expect a biblical answer. Amen? Like, let's not ask the Bible questions and then go get our answers from different places. 
because the scripture, like Google, right? But, but so I heard someone say that maybe that was the spirit. Um, but what, 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 you know, you can Google, but make sure that the answer that you get is from the word because God's word confirms his word. C.S. Lewis said the Bible is like a lion. Just let it out its cage. You don't need to defend the lion. It'll defend itself, right? And this is what we're looking at as we journey into God's word this morning. What, what is the church is what we're asking. Is the church a building? No. Is the church an ATM machine? No. Is the church a social club? No. Is the church a tradition? No. Is the church a self-help program? Kind of, but not entirely. Is the church a source of entertainment? I think it could be, but not only that. Is the church a good place to meet your future spouse? Maybe. <laughs> that will keep going. Is the church a good place to get good snacks? At Walk Church, yes. Yes, it is. Come on, somebody. We praise God for our sweet creations team. Yes. Uh, th- this, this word church, right, could be seen as a, a, a variety. Of the, there, there's been all types. There's a country song out that says, take them to church. But I think the definition may be different from the biblical definition. We need to know what God's definition for church is. This is his church that we're talking about. The first time we see the word church in the Bible, we see it in Jesus' dialogue with the disciples in Matthew chapter 16. Let's just go ahead and peek into this conversation in Matthew 16. Just to set the tone for what's happening here, I want you to imagine Jesus, King Jesus. He's, he's there. He's with his disciples, and he has this conversation. He asks them a question. Here's the question he asks. Who do the people say that I am? In the street, who do they say Jesus is? And someone said, you know what? They say that you're, you're like the second coming of Elijah. And Jesus is like, Nah. They're like, no, 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 some say that you're a prophet. You're a real good teacher of God. And then Jesus zeroes in on them and he says, but who do you say that I am? Not just who, who does, what does people say. Who do you specifically say that I am? And Peter has this dynamic answer. And Peter says, you are the Christ, which means Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, wow, that word was given to you not by man, but by the Holy Spirit himself. And then Jesus says this, and I tell you, you are Peter, Petra, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the first time we see this word church. Jesus says, I will build my church. There's a couple things that we realize about the church just in this one verse alone. That the church is, is built. It's built. Now, there's a variety of different um, interpretations as to what that means. For example, the Catholic religion would say that when Jesus says, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church, they would say that that's the literal person Peter. He is the foundation of the church, that you have Peter, the first ever pope, and then everybody comes from there, would be their interpretation. Jesus says, I'm going to build my rock on you, Peter. Another interpretation would be 
that Jesus is saying, I'm building not on the person Peter, but on the confession that Peter gave. So remember, Peter just said, Peter just said, you are the Christ, the living God, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on that confession. I would say that would be a more right interpretation of this verse, that the church doesn't find its home at Peter. The church finds its home in Christ, right? Jesus says, I'm going to build on your, your confession, Peter, your confession that I am the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we would do well to do that as well. Jesus goes up to him and he says, who do men say that I am? I would ask you the same question, church. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you, when you really come down to it, do you see Jesus as that? The Lord, the King, the Messiah, the Savior of you in this world that you are completely reliant and dependent on. And by faith, you get them. And by faith, you receive them. And then you become the church. Here's what I mean by that. You become a part of the church. The church is the Greek word ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. Ecclesia, you learned a Greek word this morning, and by definition, it's a, it's a word that would oftentimes be used in a military uh, phrase or, or, or in, in drafting an army. The, the word ecclesia just means this, called out one. It's a called out one. So say that when you got drafted to be in the military, you were called out to be a part of this specific group. Jesus says, I have a church as well. I have an ecclesia, a group of called out people. And these people are going to be my church. Notice how he doesn't say, I'll build the church. He says, I'll build my church. Jesus is building his group. He's building his army. These called out brothers and sisters are part of the church. They make up the church. And Jesus says, I want to encourage you to be a part of that church group, the called out ones of God. He not, only sa- he not only says that the church is his and that he's building it, but that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. So the church is powerful, amen? The church is championship status, the winning church. The church is elite, that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. This is the winning Team, I know for my wife and I, sometimes just on this church planting journey, we need to be reminded that we're not the builders of this church. Even if we say, yeah, we're planting this church, it's really him that says, I will build my church, amen? Like sometimes I just have to be reminded that this is his church. Like I received a phone call this past week and God began to kind of give me this as an illustration for what we're talking about. And this lady said, yeah, we just moved to Las Vegas, and we moved into these new houses built by D.R. Horton. And I just, it just kind of hit me. I thought, I wonder if Mr. Horton did any of that building, or did he just get credit for that, right? There were probably people that worked for him, and they did the, the construction. They did the, the, the hands and feet labor, but he got the credit. That's us, y'all. We, we're part of his church. Jesus is building this thing, and he tells us he's not losing. The gates of hell will not prevail against his called out church. I'm going to clap with somebody because it's a good reminder 
that you're on the winning team. And sometimes I just need to take a step back and say, you know what? Even when I don't have it all figured out, he does. And if I'm on his team, I'm winning. That's what it means to be on the winning team. Jesus wins. The church is a big deal because the church is the called out ones from God. I, I decided to develop a definition for the word church. And there's a lot of different definitions. I'm just going to give you mine. Maybe you would want to write it down or take a picture or be encouraged by it. This is what I define the church as biblically. We'll put it up here on the screen for you. The, the church is a group of people, not a building, all right? The church is a group of people who have been called out by God to deny themselves, believe in Jesus, and in their joy, allow his spirit now to live in and through them for the glory of God alone. The church is called out that Jesus is saying, hey, come on, come on out. Be a part of my church, my group, my body, my bride. And those people, when they join, they deny themselves, right? Jesus doesn't need you to bring yourself. He's got everything figured out. He needs you to deny yourself so that you can get his purpose and plan in you. He says, if you deny yourself and believe in him, in your joy, you begin to allow him to live his life through you. And people are going to be attracted to that. People are going to say, yo, Kalo, what is that? And you'll be like, man, you're not seeing me. You must be seeing the church. You must be seeing Jesus in me. You must be seeing Jesus through me. You must be seeing the lifeline of the church. Who is Jesus living through us? That is the church. And it's not for our glory. It's for his alone. We are the church. Now, we're talking a lot about the church, but I think we should. Because this is God's plan A, isn't it? The church it's through the church that you get to know God and his full plan for your life. It's through the church that you discover your God-given purpose on your life. It's through the church that you find community in supernatural ways. It's through the church that you get to experience freedom at new levels in your life. It's through the church that you get to make a difference in ways that's bigger than yourself, friends. It's through the church that you become a part of the body of Christ. It's through the church that you become a member of the family of Christ. It's through the church that hospitals are being built and going up all around the world right now, it's through the church that missionaries are carrying the good news of the gospel to the nations, amen? It's through the church that Schofield Middle School has a food pantry on their campus, and we got to give out 28 turkeys just a couple days ago. Yeah, come on, amen? That happens through the church. It's through the church that marriages come together and get reconciled. It's through the church that kids grow up knowing God and knowing believers and having a place to attend. It's through the church that we get to hear God's word preached on a weekly basis. It's through the church that we get to sing God's word corporately together on a weekly basis. It's through the church that we get to gather in homes and charge groups and eat with one another and celebrate birthdays with one another and go through struggle with one another and pray for one another. These things happen through the church. It's through the church that diversity is not an option. Diversity is a reality because that's who Jesus is and he lives his life through his church. That's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says it's through the church. Amen. I, I don't want us to move past just this idea that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let me just give you one more quote before we move on to the rest of this verse. It comes from a guy by the name of R. Kent Hughes. 
And he writes in his commentary on the book of Ephesians, he says, the bottom line is, the church is not an option for believers, nor is it supporting it an option. I'm not saying you have to go to church to be a Christian, but you also don't have to go home to be married. He says, however, if you do not frequent your home, your relationship will be in jeopardy. Attendance and participation in your local church is not an option. Paul's gospel was Christ and the church. Amen? Amen. It doesn't necessarily make sense. Some people do this. They say, man, I love Jesus. Man, me and Jesus are tight. I just don't like the church. And what they're doing when they say that is they're lying. I would straight up tell that person, I'm like, yo, you're lying. Here's why. Because you can't love Jesus and not love the church. You can't. Because Jesus and the church go together. It would be similar to me saying, hey, man, Joey, dude, I love you, bro. You're my boy. I just don't like your wife. That, what, why, my, hey, why? I was an example. Listen, all of a sudden it's awkward. It's not cool. What? It's like, it's like, Joey, dude, I love you. I just hate your body, bro. It's like, what? How, do, what, how does that, that doesn't even make sense? Because we do that. We, man, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. But you're talking about yourself. We are the church. We're the church. We're the body and bride of Christ. And Jesus says, I don't go nowhere without my body. I don't go nowhere without my wife. And we need to be reminded, that's why it's so valuable that what you're doing here today matters. Like, you're in the right place today. And if it wasn't Walk Church, if it was another church that was Bible-believing and gospel-centered and loves people and loves the city, I would say, man, you're at the right place because you're at the plan A of God's heart. And there's no other plan about it. Ephesians 3.10 goes like this. It says that through the church, you guys got that through the church part down, right? You're like, yes, yes, yes. The manifold wisdom of God. Now, this right here blows my mind. This idea of the manifold wisdom of God, the many folds of God's wisdom. The word manifold in the Greek is defined like this. It's, it's marked with a great variety of colors or cloth or a painting. Polypoiklis. It means to have a, a color of cloth or a painting. What a unique word. This word right here is only used in the Bible one other time. Manifold. It's found in Genesis chapter 37 when Jacob gave his son a many-colored coat. That same language is now on display in the church. That God has given us a many-colored picture of his wisdom when you look at the church. This is the manifold wisdom of God. I want to give you a picture of the church and how it should look and what the manifold wisdom of God looks like. I found this in Acts chapter 13. This just is a reminder of what the church looks like and should look like, and this is the manifold wisdom of him. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. These were people that proclaimed God's word, and you're like, okay, I got that. That makes sense to be in a church. And then there was Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was a Jewish man. He was known as the son of encouragement. He always just had, you ever met somebody that just always is encouraging you? That was Barnabas. Now, now Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, this is an interesting text right here. 
in all my different Bibles, I always notice that on top of Niger, there's always a little one or two or three or four. And what that is, it's referring you to a footnote. Maybe in your Bible, you have a little footnote, and it means that look at the bottom of the page for more clarity on what that word meant, oftentimes put in by the translators, right? And when I looked in my Bible on top of the little star here, it means that this word meant black man. And so what this says here is that in the church, there were prophets, there were teachers, there was a Jewish man named Barnabas, there was a man named Simeon who was a black man, there was Lucius who was a Cyrenian who was different from everybody. How he got into the group is kind of strange. Like, hey, what's up, Lucius? Where'd you come from? I came from Cyrene. Like, wow, okay. Then there was Manian. Manian, now listen to this. He was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That's crazy. Herod hated everybody. Herod especially hated the church. Herod was the type of guy to have his like sister killed, and then his sons, he thought that his sons were conspiring against him, so he had them killed, and he was having all the, he was doing all types of wicked stuff, and his homeboy is now part of the church. He was a lifelong friend. Who ministered to that dude? Right? Like, how'd you even get Manian in the room? And here they are. And we forgot about Saul. Saul, Paul, Paul before he was Paul was Saul, and here's Saul, and we have this group of the church. Do you see the manifold wisdom of God in the, in the room, and what are they doing? They're arguing with each other. No, they were worshiping the Lord. They were fasting, and what happened is this. They got the Holy Spirit of God's attention, that God looked upon this room and he saw this diversity, and he saw this worship, and he saw fasting, and he said, you know what? I got a message that I'm going to portray to them. And somehow they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit of God in this moment. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This Macedon, this beautiful picture of the calling of God. It came out of the church gathering and worshiping and praying and even fasting. The Holy Spirit showed up and sent a missionary off. That sending wasn't a foreign concept in the church. Sending was a reality. Sending was a thing that often happened as God showed up. The manifold wisdom of God was on display here. Let me, let me submit this to you. That when this happens, when Acts 13 type stuff happens, when, when the manifold wisdom of God is on display, let, let me tell you what happens. Are you ready? That, that this might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now picture that for a second. That this doesn't just prove to people on the outside that the church is the real deal. Because that's true as well. Jesus says that people will know you by the way you love one another. He's talking to the church. But he says here, he takes it up a notch. He says that it's through the church that even the angels and the demons lock in and say, wow. That it's through the church that this, this spiritual world that you and I can't even see. right? Paul says we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but the angels and the demons and the principalities of the heavenly realm that's trying to, trying to distract us, that's trying to stop us or that's trying to help us, this right here, this manifold wisdom of God, the angels longed to look in and see. Paul's saying in Ephesians 3 that when this type of stuff happens, 
when the level of diversity, the, the quality of the fellowship, the unity of the togetherness, the art of the one anothering together, that when this happens, it shows off God's wisdom to this, to this angelic co- context, and they go in and say, man, that is amazing. That we're doing something today that angels could never do. We're doing something today that makes devils and demons shake. We are a beautiful picture of the wisdom of God. So look, okay, yeah, we go clap for that. It's true. I want you to catch this. I really do. I want you to catch it. I want you to catch it. Like if God had a puzzle and it was the wisdom of God puzzle and you got to see the box, you know, the box usually shows the, the puzzle, it would show the church and all of its unique diversities and all of its multicultural, multi-language, multi-messed up struggling selves that we are, that we are in the room. Uh, that it would show different colors, different ages, different ethnicities, different cultures, different races, different backgrounds, different, all t- different dysfunctions. And we're all here together. That would be the puzzle of God's wisdom. And the angels and the demons say, wow, that's amazing. I was reading Tony Morita's commentary on Ephesians chapter 3. And here's what... Dr. Morita says, he says, if you're part of the church, then you're part of a cosmic sermon that is being preached to spiritual rulers and authorities. Did you catch that? If you're part of the church, now, maybe you're not part of the church. Maybe you just decided to check this out today. But if you're part of the church, you're part of a cosmic sermon that's being preached to the angels and the demons, and they're looking at it like, this is crazy. This is blowing my mind. We've never had anything like this before, the church. His grace and glory are displayed in a diverse people, a many-colored fellowship, a multicultural and multi-ethnic fellowship who have been called and redeemed and forgiven and made alive and united in Christ. It's who we are. And when we have that togetherness, y'all, it's a beautiful picture of God's wisdom It's a beautiful picture of God's grace. No longer will Sunday be the most segregated day of the week. It was never supposed to be that way, church, where we have black church, and then there's white church, and then there's Hispanic church, and then there's Asian church. Do you ever see those type of names in the Bible? We just see the church, amen? We see his church, and it's made up of all of that, and that declares the mystery And the marvelous grace of God, the wisdom of God is on display through the church. It's God's plan A. R. Kent Hughes says it like this in his commentary. He says, all of this demands a view of the church that's so high that it challenges belief. The church, a product of God's reconciling work, will in fact be an agent in the ultimate cosmic reconciliation. This mystery keeps the angels watching. This mystery keeps the angels saying, man, how is God going to finish it? The angels keep getting this glimpse that, man, God is in the business of reconciling. One day, God will make a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll all be reconciled together into this beautiful picture of God's grace and God's glory. And this mystery is being uncovered. This mystery is being revealed. And it is the church, y'all. I couldn't say it enough. Having a high view of the church is having a high view of Jesus. And having a high view of Jesus must have a high view of the church because that's who we are.
Let's go ahead and make our way to our last passages and we'll be done today. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 11 and 12 say, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. That Jesus had an eternal purpose before you and I were born. Not only before you and I were born, but before your parents were born. Before your parents' parents were born. Before your great, 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 great grandparents were born, God had a purpose for you. Now, maybe you don't recognize it. I want to show it to you out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, even as he chose us. Come on, can you all read it with me? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before the foundation of the world. That God said, you know what, I'm going to choose you. And not just you, but people that were different than you. And I'm going to bring you guys together to be one body, holy and blameless. Now, maybe you would say, I don't feel holy. I don't feel blameless. I feel like God could blame me for a lot of my sin. That, that I could be blamed by a whole lot. And the truth is, you could. And the truth is, you should. But the grace of God is that he chose you even still to demonstrate his love and kindness towards you. And when you put your faith in Jesus, all of a sudden you become holy. Because Christ is holy, you're holy. Because Christ is blameless, now you're blameless by your faith in him. And your holiness and your blamelessness should create something in you that motivates you to do something. Let me show it to you as we finish. You see it in our text, Ephesians 3. Verse 12, in whom we now have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. How do you get boldness, y'all? You get boldness when you recognize you're part of the winning team. When you say, man, I'm part of the manifold wisdom of God. I'm part of the church. I get bold. When you recognize you have access, you got the all-access pass to God. That changes the way you think. That, that, That gives you confidence through your faith in him. Because now you're holy, now you're blameless, now you're righteous, now you're called out. You're now a child of God. That's the heart of the Father, that you see who you really are. And then you live that way. Holiness is not trying harder to be more holy. Holiness is being who you already are. It's allowing Jesus to live his life in and through you. Let me tell you this, church. I don't think that Jesus is ever going to wake up and say, you know what, I'm not going to be Jesus today. Right? He's going to be who he is, isn't he? And as long as you've got him in you, he's going to be who he is in you. And Jesus is going to reconcile through you. Jesus is going to love people through you. Jesus is going to declare his wisdom through you for his glory and for your good. Boldness and access with confidence through him. Verse 13 says it like this. So, I ask you, don't lose heart. I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Which is your glory? Paul is saying, hey, the things that I'm suffering, don't let that discourage you. God has placed me in this prison for his glory. Amen? Paul says, I look at my circumstance, and I'm living out Thanksgiving right now. I'm going to be thankful for where God's placed me because he's got me. Paul tells us in here in Ephesians, he also tells us in Romans 8, that the suffering of this present age... How many of you guys have dealt with some type of suffering in 2018? Is that just me? Just at least some level of suffering? Some of y'all are like, man, you should have seen me last week, right? 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to catch this promise. Do it. Just catch it. Catch it right now. Catch it. Catch it. Catch it. This is the promise. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is saying prophetically that this isn't it. That the sufferings of this age won't compare to the blessings of what's to come. If you can hold on, if you can stay strong, if you can be a part of the church, the manifold wisdom of God, trusting in him forever and ever and displaying his glory, not just to one another, but even to the angelic demonic realm. Amen? My prayer for us this morning was this. God, I pray that Walk Church wouldn't be a clicky church. I said, God, I pray that our church would be an inviting church. I prayed that Walk Church would be a church that reaches out to the nations and people that are maybe not like you exactly, maybe looks different, maybe talks different, maybe has a different background or past, and maybe you can't relate, but maybe you want to relate. You want to get to know what that looks like. And then God begins to do a miraculous work in his called out church. Amen.